some of you know, most of you know, I took a month-long sabbatical to China during the summer. And one of the things that motivated me to go was reading this book. I don't know if you've heard of this book. It's an autobiography of a house church leader. And so I was so inspired by this book that when I had uh, an opportunity for sabbatical, I'm like, I want to go to China. And I want to see what God's doing in China for myself. Um, And so what I want to read to you is one of the most poignant stories from the book about uh, Brother Yun, Yin, Yun, um, growing up without a Bible during the Cultural Revolution and just how desperately he wanted God's Word. Okay, hopefully this is going to stir some things for you. I know it did for me. So here goes. During that time, I frequently asked my mother who Jesus truly was, and she told me, Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for us, taking all our sins and sicknesses. He recorded all his teachings in the Bible. I asked if there were any words of Jesus left that I could read for myself, and she replied, no, all his words are gone. There's nothing left of his teaching. This was during the Cultural Revolution when Bibles could not be found. From that day on, I earnestly wanted to have a copy of my own Bible. I asked my mother and fellow Christians what a Bible even looked like. No one knew. I was so hungry for a Bible. See, in my desperation, my mother remembered an old man who lived in another village. This man had been a pastor before the Cultural Revolution. Together, we started out on the long walk to his home. When we found him, we told him our desire. We longed to see a Bible. Do you have one? He immediately looked fearful. This man had already spent nearly 20 years in prison for his faith. He felt compassion for me, but still didn't want to show me his Bible. The old pastor simply told me, the Bible is a heavenly book. If you want one, you'll need to pray to the God of heaven. Only he can provide you a heavenly book. God is faithful. He will always answer those who seek him with all of their heart. I fully trusted the pastor's words. When I returned home, I brought a stone into my room, and I knelt down on it every evening for prayer. I had just one simple prayer. Lord, please give me a Bible. Amen. At that time, I didn't really know how to pray, but I continued for more than one month just praying that prayer, and nothing happened. A Bible didn't appear. I went back to that pastor's house again. This time I went alone. I told him, I prayed to God according to your instructions, but I still haven't received the Bible I want so much. Please, please show me your Bible. Just a glance. I will be satisfied. I don't even need to touch it. You hold it, and I will just be content to look at it. If I could copy down some of the words, I'll return home happy. The pastor saw the anxiety of my heart. He spoke to me again. If you're serious, then you should not only kneel down and pray to the Lord, you should also fast and weep. The more you weep, the sooner you'll get a Bible. I went home, and every morning and afternoon, I ate and drank nothing. Every evening, I ate one small bowl of steamed rice. I cried like a hungry child to his heavenly father, wanting to be filled with his word. For the next 100 days, I prayed for a Bible. Until I could bear it no more. My parents were sure I was losing my mind. Then, 
Suddenly, one morning at 4 a.m., after months of begging God to answer my prayers, I received a vision from the Lord while kneeling beside my bed. A kind old man who had a very long beard was pulling a cart full of fresh bread. When the old man saw me, he asked, Are you hungry? I replied, Yes, I have nothing to eat. I'm on my way to get food for my family. The old man took a red bag of bread from his trolley, and he gave it to me. When I put the bun in my mouth, it instantly turned into a Bible. I woke up and started searching the house for the Bible. The rest of my family was asleep. The vision had been so real to me that when I realized it had only been a dream, I was deeply anguished, and I wept loudly. My parents rushed to my room to see what had happened. They thought I had gone crazy. My mother, father, knelt down and wept together arm in arm. And we wept. Suddenly, I heard a faint knock at the door. A very gentle voice called my name. I rushed over and asked through the locked door, Are you bringing the bread to me? The gentle voice replied, Oh, yes, we have a bread feast to give you. I quickly opened the door, and there standing before me was the man I had seen in the vision. He held a red bag in his hand. My heart raced. I opened the bag, held it in my hands. For the very first time, my very own Bible. I clutched my new Bible to my heart and fell down on my knees outside the door. I thank God again and again. I promised Jesus that from that moment on, I would devour his word like a hungry child. How do you like that appetizer? Anybody here hungry for a bread feast? Well, next Sunday, that's where we're going to get. We're going to get a bread feast. Are you guys hungry? Do you guys want some of that? I'm just remember that in the scripture, uh, the Bible says that all men are like the grass of the field and the grass withers and the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord breathes upon it. But the word of our God will stand forever. Now, I don't know what you're doing this week, you know, but a whole bunch of what we're doing is not going to stand forever. But our investment on something this coming Sunday is going to last forever. It's worthy of being hungry for. You guys getting more excited? Are we wetting someone's appetite? Isaiah 66, 2, God says this, the one whom I will look he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and what are the next four words? Trembles at my word. I love that image. Trembles at my word. Are you a person who trembles at the word of God? That image of just like when God's word, you're, you're trembling out of great respect and value for it. Are you hungry for it? Because it's coming next week. So let's get ready. And that's increased our appetite for what's ahead. And all God's people said, okay, cool. Now, that was a little bit like uh, last month and a little bit next week. Now, let's talk about today. But can you all stand up and then we're going to pray and get ready for today, okay? Father, I apologize beforehand for this unworthy vehicle of your redeeming power. 
But I'm praying that in this next hour, you would break our hearts. You would stir something in our hearts. You would be bringing us to want change. And we would have a greater vision for something that may not be there right now. Through your power, I'm very inadequate to give this message, but I pray, Lord, that your power would be at work. And even through my weakness, you would be strong and you would be speaking. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. I want to start off with a question. You know, in church, we have this concept of glorifying God. It's a pretty big deal for us. But I wanted to ask you a question beyond that question. I think the first question is, do you want to glorify God? And, of course, the Christian response is, well, yes, of course I want to glorify God. And my follow-up question to that question is, how badly do you want to glorify God in your life? Is this something that is a nice thing to do along the way? Or is this something that you would live and you would die for to glorify God? I would say for myself that when I first became a Christian, glorifying God, you know, like making much of his name, making him famous, I honestly didn't really get why that was so important. It wasn't that big for me. But I can say after 25 years of walking with the Lord, there is nothing in this world that's more important than glorifying God. I mean, that is why we exist. So let me ask you, each one of you, how badly do you want to glorify God in your life? Now, let me put it a different way. For each one of you, okay, as uh, friends and family... And uh, co-workers, look at your life like, uh, like David, our newest board member. Like all the people around you, look at your life. Would you want people, after looking at your life, to conclude that all these good things in your life are happening because you're a good person? And they're kind of clapping for you. Yay, you're good and... Good for you. It's a lot of you in your life. And you kind of emerge as the hero of your own life. Is is that what you want? Or do you want the kind of life where people kind of look at your life, what you stand for and the things you're really desperate about, and they come away with the conclusion that none of this could have happened if God were not working? It's kind of like, there's no way that that could have happened, or you could have done that in your life. This could have happened to you if God were not helping you. No way. Which one? A life where people applaud you, and it's about you, and you're the hero. Or is it a life where there's desperation, and there's weakness? God emerges as the hero very clearly, and people are like, I'm not really clapping for you, but kind of God in you? Which life do you want? What if you knew that the second kind of life did entail suffering and weakness and coming to the end of yourself so that God can be glorified? Would you still want to glorify God that badly? Even if it means reaching the end of myself and desperation and calling out to God, God, you got to come. God, you got to do something. Which one? 
Now, if you look at the life of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is the character that we're going to go into today, and we're in this series where we're, we're highlighting the character who highlights a value that we either have or we want to aspire towards. And this value is the value of desperate prayer. And I don't know if it's something that we have. I think it's something more that we're aspiring towards. But let me just ask you, is your life characterized by desperate prayer? Is there, is there a point when you pray like on a daily basis or a weekly basis where you're, God, you got to come through. you got to come through. Or are you kind of cruising on your own strength and ability like, uh, I don't really need to desperately pray to God because I got it handled. I can do it. We can do it. Which one? Nehemiah lived this incredible life where in chapter 6, verse 16, the enemies of Nehemiah who were standing against him, look at what he accomplished, and they conclude, you couldn't have done this unless God were helping you. Now, if your enemies are saying that, that says a lot. And Nehemiah's life shows us that you can't really have that Unless you lean into God in desperate prayer, coming to an end of yourself and saying, God, you got to come through. God comes through. And guess who gets the glory? No one's really applauding you. And they see God's fingerprints and God's handiwork all over what you're doing. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go through the life of Nehemiah. Now, there's four movements, okay? And just to kind of help you realize these movements and maybe like when you go back to work or, or maybe when you think about, you know, a prayer meeting sometime in the future, you'll remember some of these movements. Movement number one in the first two chapters of Nehemiah. And these movements get repeated. Number one is Nehemiah sees a great need. Now, can you guys repeat that with me? Sees a great need. Movement number two, Nehemiah prays. Can you guys say, Nehemiah prays? And the third movement is Nehemiah responds in bold action. Can you guys say, responds in bold action? And the fourth movement is God comes through. Can you guys say, God comes through? Okay. Now, the first movement is Nehemiah sees a great need. Now, I'm not going to read all the verses because we already had a lot of really good sharing today. I'll leave you guys to really read these chapters in depth on your own. But I'm going to highlight certain parts of the scripture that get at the heart of the movement. Verse 1 to 3, Nehemiah hears this report on how Jerusalem is doing. Nehemiah is not in Jerusalem. He's in the capital of Persia, which is hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. The Jews were conquered by Babylon. The Jews were deported to Babylon. Babylon was conquered by Persia. The Persian king is letting the Jews come back home. Okay, you got all those steps. And that's, we're in the midst of this Persian king letting the Jews come back home. And so Nehemiah hears this report about how Jerusalem is doing, and it is not good. Jerusalem is in great trouble and shame. Verse 3, the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. The city gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah is crestfallen. He falls apart emotionally when he hears this news. He weeps, he mourns, he fasts, he prays, all because he sees this great need. Now, the first movement is Nehemiah sees this great need. 
There is something in Nehemiah's world that he sees, and it is just messed up and not right. I'm just asking you, when was the last time you saw something and in your heart you said, that is just messed up and not right? And Nehemiah is having one of those moments. He sees a great need. Now, verses 4 through 11 is where Nehemiah takes the next step. Nehemiah prays. Not just prayer, but desperate prayer. And not just desperate prayer, but desperate prayer for days. Fasting, mourning, praying. And during this prayer, if you read the text from verses 4 through 11, he's doing uh, remembering the attributes of God. He's confessing sin, not just of the people, but of himself. And then he's asking God to do some significant things. Now, I believe that the prayer took days and days, not because he was just repeating all these words in the prayer over and over again. What I think Nehemiah was doing is that he was praying and he was listening to God. And he was asking God, okay, how should I respond? What do you want me to pray for? And I believe that towards the end of these days of prayer, he had a better sense of what God was calling him to do. And so he's asking for tangible things. And he says this at the end of the prayer, give me success and grant me mercy in the sight of this man. Now, who's this man? This man is the king. Now, I just want to say that when we go from movement one, he sees this great need, to movement two, he prays. I just want to say that movement one to movement two is a big deal. It is a big deal. Now, uh, let me explain why it's a big deal. Partly it's a big deal because of who Nehemiah is. Now, who is Nehemiah? Nehemiah is a cupbearer. And if you know the role of a cupbearer, it's a pretty high position. Uh, You're going to taste the wine and you're going to eat the food before it goes to the king. So that means the king trusts you. And the king is not going to hire just some guy off the street to be like his right or his left-hand man, to be someone that he trusts, that gives him the food, that tests the food. He's going to hire the best. Nehemiah, chapter after chapter, you realize he is the best. Uh, for example, when pastors want to um, uh, point an illustration of, a, of someone who is excellent in leader, their go-to guy is like Nehemiah, right? And so here is this guy who's a very gifted man. And he prays. That's a big deal. Why? Because gifted people are not really known for desperate prayer, Right? There's kind of like this curse of being gifted. And the curse is self-reliance. A lot of times when someone is gifted, they feel like my greatest asset to the world is my own ability. You know, you feel like I can trust in my own power to do things and to fix things. I can do it by myself. And so it's like, well, what do you think about coming and praying? We don't need to pray. We can just do it ourselves. It's self-reliance. Does anyone here in this room kind of struggle with that problem? Anyone here like that? No, I I just want you to uh, uh, think, like, as a pastor, 
at Christian Layman Church. Do you guys think it's like easy to call a prayer meeting together or, or hard to call a me- prayer meeting together? Anyone here think it's easy? No one here thinks it's easy, and you're so right, you know? You know, sometimes I'll be like calling together a prayer meeting, like, hey, let's get together and pray. And sometimes I just feel like, you know, I might as well just say like, fire, run away. Because, you know, it's like the same effect, you know? I'm, I'm exaggerating. But, but sometimes when I think about our church and I, like the weakness of our church, maybe one of the top weaknesses of the CLC is, man, the people of our church are just too gifted. It, it, could that be like one of our problems? We're, we're just, we're just, man, that church, ah, oh man, they're just, they're just too gifted. And we don't need God. We can just do it by ourselves. You know, um, this, this self-reliance and the gospel, you guys realize that they don't really mix, Right? Because when you become a Christian, it's almost like step number one, you realize you need help. I don't have the moral resources to be good enough. I need a Savior who dies on the cross to forgive my sins. I need Jesus. Isn't that like step number one? No, it doesn't make sense to go, you know, I really need Jesus to forgive my sins. But in everything else, I got it. We don't need to desperately pray. We got it. We got it. Come on. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, John 15. Hopefully this one really, really like uh, closes the deal. Jesus said this. If a person remains in me, he or she will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do... What does Jesus say next? (laughs) What does Jesus say next? Apart from me, you can do what? No? Okay, those are the words of Jesus. Does anyone here believe that? You're like, no, 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 I can actually do a lot of things. (laughs) I can do a lot of things, and I don't necessarily need to pray or the Holy Spirit. Really? Like, things that will ultimately last... Like things of, of, of ultimate significance? Really? I mean, if we really believe this scripture, then it drives us to desperate prayer. God, we want you to do these amazing things and we're not able to by ourselves. We need your help. Now, I, I want you to look at your bulletin because I think right now is a really good time to make a plug for some prayer meetings that we're going to have in the, in the uh, upcoming season. And I'm actually hoping that some of you will feel stirred by this message. Look at these prayer meetings and go, you know, I'm going to sign up for one or two and just save the date in my smartphone. Or maybe you have a calendar here. Just, I'm, going to, I'm going to schedule it in. I'm going to be very proactive. I know I'm really busy, but you know something? I'm too busy not to pray, right? Man, that would be, that'd be very concrete. And I will see you during each of those times, and I promise to be very desperate at each of those meetings, and we can pray together. Now, um, the, the, the next movement of Nehemiah, Nehemiah responds with bold action. Now, he's praying, and he realizes that God is calling him to play an active part in the answer. 
And his God-given plan is, I'm going to go to the emperor, and I'm going to go. Now listen to this. This is the plan. I'm going to go to the emperor, and I'm going to stand before him. Now watch very carefully. And I'm going to do this. You guys see my, you guys see my faith? No, he's giving the wine like, your highness, here's the wine. Now, now listen, this is a very dangerous move. Why? Because when you give wine to the king and the king likes to be with encouraging people, you got to tell your face to smile, right? Even if you're not feeling very happy. Why? Because kings don't have to put up with sad looking people. You just get rid of you, throw you in prison, right? Now, not just that, but kings want people in their core, people that they trust, to put the agenda of the king first. Nehemiah is not putting the agenda of the king first. He's putting God's agenda first. So he's looking glum, but it's inviting some sort of response because he has an agenda. Now, look, Nehemiah was praying, and God was calling him to be part of the answer, right? God was saying, I want you to put some skin in the game. God's saying, I want you to remove a safety net here. I want you to put yourself in a situation where if I don't come through, pardon my language, you are going to be screwed. Would you, would you be willing to do that? You know, in Nicaragua, we met a missionary by the name of Ted. He felt called to go to Nicaragua. You know what he did? He sold all his assets to pay for his debts. And he had a total of $3,000 in the bank. And then he moved from uh, Louisiana, St. Louis, thank you, to Nicaragua. You guys are ready for that. And he had $3,000 in the bank. Now, I'm talking to him, right? And Jordan's there and Gordon's there. I'm like, so um, you don't have like a retirement plan? Like when you say $3,000, you're not including the entire retirement plan. And he said, no. But the thing is, I asked him that question like a second time. And then Gordon and Jordan started to feel embarrassed when I asked him a third time. Now, I asked him three times and I'm like, really? You know, like this is totally rubbing against my cultural values and so forth. And if I'm going to tell this story, I want to make sure that I'm getting it straight. You said, no, 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 I'm on the trust Jesus plan. So you don't have anything saved up for college for your little kid? No, I'm on the Jesus plan. Well, this is, this is I've, I rarely meet people like you. This is awesome. This is inspiring. Now, now here, God is moving Ted. Remove the safety net. I'm wondering, is God calling you to remove some sort of safety net? And that way, well, when you do that, you are making way for God to be much glorified in your life. So he puts himself in harm's way, and he he appears before the king, and he's glum, right? And then the king asks him, what's wrong? He says, why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? And Nehemiah says, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? 
Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Guess what Nehemiah does next, by the way? He prays. So he prays for long stretches of days, and he prays on the spot, God, I need your help. I desperately need your help. He says, send me to Jerusalem to rebuild it. King says, well, how long will you be gone? Nehemiah gives us an answer. King says, okay, you have my blessing. I'm paraphrasing. And Nehemiah says, oh, by the way, king, king, I also need this, and I also need this. And the king says, you got it. Go do it. Movement number four, God comes through. And this is pretty unexplainable. I don't really know how it benefits the king to give Nehemiah all these resources. And I believe Nehemiah was gone for 12 years. So how does that benefit? Why would the king do that? I don't know how to explain it. Actually, I do. It's only God. There's only one way to explain this. God must have been helping you. Now look, this would not have happened if there was, probably if there was no courageous action. But the courageous action would not have happened if there was no desperate prayer. And that's why I'm asking you, are you praying desperately for God to break into your life? Or are you walking life going like, no, no, I got it. I don't need to desperately pray. And then you got it. And then something mediocre happens and people go, yeah, that was pretty good. That's all you. But when we come to an end in ourselves and we say, God, help me. Wow. Step number four. God comes through and God is glorified. Do you want to live that kind of life? Do you want to be that kind of church? Well, it seems to me that we have to desperately pray. And I'm ready for it. And I'm inviting you to come and join the pastors and I. And so if you look in the bottom of your outline, we've actually set dates ahead. Uh, Some of these uh, uh, prayer times will have themes like home group or worship. Come and join us in desperate prayer. And then let's see what God does. An invitation towards prayer is kind of an invitation to be desperate. But to be desperate together means that we will put ourselves in a place where God comes through and God is glorified. And that's the kind of life that we want to live. I'm going to invite the, uh, the worship team to come. And they are going to lead us in a song that's going to prepare us to respond in prayer. When we respond in prayer, we're going to be listening to God. And then there's going to be time that we're going to be responding individually, quietly to ourselves, but responding nonetheless. So let's get ready for that. And then I'll give you clear instructions when it's time to start interacting with God.
To a time of relating to God. And I think before we do that, I just want everyone just to welcome faith. Like maybe you've been a believer for a long time, maybe not so much. But I'd like you just to embrace faith that God is here, that God is real, that God is a communicating God. Now, whichever uh, posture would be best for you when you are praying would be a good posture for you to assume right now. So maybe for some of you, it would be standing up and raising your hands. Maybe for others of you, you would be on your knees. Maybe others still would just sit there. But whatever posture would be the best way for you to communicate with God, why don't you assume that posture now? And I'd invite everyone to close their eyes just as a sign of respect. 
bow your heads. This prayer is not going to be a, a long prayer. Um, it's really going to be just three minutes long. But for the first minute and a half, we're just going to be still before the Lord and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to reveal something in your world or something in your life that is broken. Maybe you've been ignoring it or maybe you've been trying to fix it by yourself. And then in the second part, we're going to start inviting God into that and we're going to start praying for that. But the first part is just really with God's help, I repeat myself, asking the Holy Spirit to show us something in our life or world that's broken. So pray with me. Holy Spirit, you reveal and you convict. That's what you do. We invite you into this place to show us what's broken. To show us maybe something we've either been ignoring or trying to fix by ourselves. And we ask that you would reveal that to each of us individually. Now let's listen to what he is going to highlight or say. And now let's ask God to help us in this place of brokenness. And so let's start crying out to God in our hearts. Now you guys can do this in the silence, but with a full heart, or you can do this with a whisper. But why don't we just spend the next minute and a half doing that together individually? Let's, let's go ahead and cry out to God in our hearts.
Lord, in this place of brokenness, in this place of weakness, we invite you in. We call out to you in desperation. We pray that in this place of brokenness and weakness, you would be made strong. Would you do something amazing in this place of our lives, in this place of our world, for your glory? Show yourself strong, Lord. Save us and redeem us, we pray. And Lord, just my own prayer for this coming fall semester, Lord, I would love to look back on this time maybe seasons later and just say there's no way that this could have happened or that could have happened unless God was not with us we want to have there's no way that could have happened except God moments this coming season and so we call out to you God move in our church move in our communities move in our lives I just pray for, for people who are lukewarm have been lukewarm for a long time, that in this next season they would come alive by the power of God. I pray for loved ones who do not know Jesus, that they would come to meet the risen Lord for the first time in a very powerful way in this coming season. Lord, I pray for new baptisms, new life, new testimonies, And we just confess, I confess, on behalf of the leaders, we cannot do that by ourselves. We can do nothing by ourselves. But with your amazing power, it's unstoppable. So we ask for your power. We ask for your rescue. We ask for your transformation. In Jesus' name we pray.